Christopher is back for part two. So many of you tuned in to his podcast about serial killers. And with the clips now, hundreds of thousands of views in a month. So if you're not familiar with Christopher, you should be. It could be cars. He's all over the bloody place. Netflix, Amazon Prime, YouTube, bookshops, Waterstones. Biggest true crime author in the world outsold Truman Capote. That is no mean feat. And he has corresponded with and visited 30th of the most 30 of the most heinous serial killers around the world. And his latest book is just an absolute wonder of keyword alchemy. He put together serial killers and Hollywood. And it's just selling like hotcakes. Who'd have thunk it? All right. Well, thank you very much for coming back on, Christopher. Lucky I'm here today. No sat nav. <laughs> you went past the turn and ended up in almost in Halfway London. Halfway to London, yeah. Oh, boy. I haven't got Boris with me. That was the problem. He's my navigator. <laughs> so when did this new book come out, Serial Killers at the Movies? Came out last month. Uh, that would be um, November. Right. And um, it, it, it's gone crazy. Absolutely crazy. It, the, the whole idea came to me in my sleep. <laughs> best, and best Eureka I'll, moments. I've got to tell you, it was it was like a blinding light. And I thought, um, serial killers and all these movies about serial killers. And uh, all of a sudden, I woke up and I scribbled down on the pad. And, and I woke up in the morning, looked at this piece of paper, and I thought, what's that? <laughs> and it was serial killers in the movies. And that's how the genesis of the book, that's how it came about. Completely different. Never done, been done before, so rock and roll with it. So you'd already interviewed numerous serial killers and movies were made about their stories. Is that why you had that epiphany? And then did you start to write them all down? Yeah, what, what happened was, um, was with the fact that this, this book is not like, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of movies about killers and monsters and stuff like that. Um, some are based on fact. Some are factional, which is a mix of obviously fiction and fact, and some are fiction. And this is really a guide to the, the the person that likes true crime movies, who's into crime books, to say basically, here's some of the guidelines, what you want to look for across the board with any movie you watch, whether it's on Ted Bundy or it's on anybody else. There's certain things that you should look for before you throw your money away at the cinema and stuff yourself with popcorn and that other drink that comes in a red can, but I can't mention it because if it's, <laughs> but it's, it's really a guide for people to look at and think, I want to watch that movie. I'll just do a little bit of research about it first of all, and see what it's all about. So at the top of this list, then we've got silence of the lambs and that's just one of my all time favorites. Gladys. Yeah, that's that's the. Tell bench. me, mom, did yeah. you breastfeed your baby? <laughs> yeah, all right. Made your nipples hard, didn't it? So don't bring me into this conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, Silence of the Lambs. That's that's the gold standard, really. Um, the reason, I mean, Hannibal Lecter couldn't be. There's no such serial killer as Hannibal Lecter. I mean, he's too many characters all rolled into one to start with. Um, fascinating thing about that is that um, the writer, uh, he picked a guy 
called a Dr. Trevino who's in prison who had been gay and he'd killed his gay lover and chopped him up and put him in a box in a field. And he met this doctor in prison. Harris met the doctor in prison. And he, and, and he was a quiet man. He was a very quiet man. He came across as a doctor in the prison, but he wasn't. And the thing was, Harris went away and he then developed this character into Hannibal. Now, the Dr. Trevino was eventually released from prison and went on to treat his patients over many years. He was a wonderful man. He just had that one case where he'd killed his lover. And the thing about... He was a wonderful man when he's not yeah, murdering the people. The thing about <laughs> Hannibal Lecter is, is the research that's gone behind it, which is fascinating. And you have to look really underneath. I mean, the whole film was supported by the FBI at Quantico. Mm. They were the consultants. Um, so Anthony Hopkins went to some murder trials. Both actors were coached by psychiatrists and FBI agents, Clara Starling. She had an FBI agent helping her. And when you look actually underneath it, underneath the film, there are so many subtle nuances running throughout the film that you, the viewer wouldn't obviously see straight away. You'll see the, the the guy with his arm in a sling. Now, that's been taken from Bundy's MO. Oh, yes. You see? And you'll see all these little bits of a jigsaw put together, and that really is a gold standard for a fictional movie based on one true-life character and I don't think Dr. Trevino would ever have thought in a million years that it would become a multi-billion pound, million pound thing. So Buffalo Bill was wearing women's skins. Yep. How common is that in the real serial killer world? That was sort of drawn from Ed Gein, uh, who uh, exhumed corpses and killed a couple of large ladies and then skinned them like deer and then he made lampshades and he made a woman's suit and that's how Buffalo Bill gets and in in if you watch the film The Green Mile uh the crazy guy in the on the death row there that's throwing pee and shit everywhere um it called him Buffalo Bill and he said because he skins his humps and that that was taken from the Green Mile. So you can see all these little twists and twer turns. In the Green Mile, you've got Percy Wetmore. People just don't Percy Wetmore. But, of course, he didn't wet the sponge, did he? All these little tiny things make fascinating when you look at it. So so was Ed Gein, was he the one who was wearing the skins and dancing under the full moon? Yeah. 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 I mean, people have a um, couple of serial killers that I've interviewed have, have done sort of that on a smaller scale. Uh, but I'm working on a book at the moment called Cannibalism, um, and uh, and and a lot of people do that sort of, well in a smaller way. But um, then you got the Death's Head Moth in Silence of the Lambs, but that's actually from a painting. It's not actually a real Death's Head. But when you look at behind behind all the nuances behind that film, once you start seeing them, the film becomes so much more enjoyable. Yeah, I think Buffalo Bill was one of the most fascinating characters. What do you have to say about Buffalo Bill? Well, I think he's the guy that he he wanted to be a transvestite, and um, uh, but but the actual wearing of the woman's skin, he was he was trying to get psychology into a woman's skin, 
So he he put he wore that sort of stuff. But but a lot of these killers do who are bisexual who want to be women. They obviously like dress up in women's clothes. I mean, there was that colonel we talked, I think, talked about last night, Colonel Russell Williams, a Canadian Air Force colonel who was cross-dressing all the time. And he ran an Air Force base. <laughs> God help us. So I recently watched a video on Patrick Brett David's channel, Valuetainment, and it was an ex-FBI guy. He was extremely highly decorated, and he was talking about the corruption of the FBI and how um, all these pe innocent people have been sent to prison, and they basically tell the labs, you know, give us this result, and the propaganda. So do you think then that there is an agenda in the movies whereby the feds always make like the cops, like Clary Starling, these are the good guys that go in and kick the bad guys' asses, but the reality is far more complex and there's far more corruption? I can't speak about corruption for the FBI. Um, I can say, obviously, there's a lot of bent, murderous redneck cops in America shooting black guys and stuff like that. I mean, that's absolutely disgraceful, and black lives do matter very much. So get that off the way. As far as FBI agents go, um, I, I've i never come across, and I've done a lot of work with the FBI at Quantico. They're solid guys. Well, where I I get I get up, get upset is a lot of judges in these counties and redneck cops and sheriffs and DAs are as bent as you can get. And they're the ones that ultimately throw guys in jail that are innocent. And in some cases, they, they're executed. Um, that happened with um, Joseph Odell III. I spoke to him just a few days before he was executed. He was innocent. Even the Pope begged. For, and, but the police knew that he was innocent. And you've got Fred Waterfield in Florida at the moment who's um, serving a life sentence. His, his buddy, David Allen Gore, he was executed. Um, basically fast-tracked that was because he'd written to me in long letters telling me how he'd skinned his victims and hung them up, which made Fred West look like a pussycat, really, what he, this guy did. But Gore got uh, uh, Fred Waterfield got stitched up by the police. And, and it's obvious that they stitched him up. Um, so you get a lot of that in the counties and stuff like that. And, I mean, in some cases, when you've got, a, like, for instance, Michael Ross in Connecticut, if you've got a body dumped in one jurisdiction, if if that county or that town hasn't got a lot of money, they'll shift the body across the state line or county line and let somebody else investigate it. Yeah, being in the system, my lawyer got Ray Crown, the snaggletooth killer, off who was innocent, and the state of Arizona paid an expert witness $50,000 to say that his teeth matched a mark on the victim, and they suppressed the DNA that didn't match his DNA. Yeah. That's how corrupt it is, and it just blew my mind. <laughs> I was for the death penalty before I realized all this. Well, yeah. And so I mean, many people now on death row are innocent. Yeah. I, I work with one for 10 out of London, and they've gone and filmed a load of exonerees. They estimate at least 10%. I've um, seen lawyers estimate up to a third of people innocent. Yeah, we well, don't row. get on the death penalty because that will tease me right off. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you know what I think about the death penalty? And this, I've been asked this many times, Sean. What happens is, you know, if a county or a state want the death penalty, 
That's their call. It's not for me to poke my nose or anybody else to influence them. Whether it's morally right or wrong, that's something else. But what I always say is this. If somebody's evil enough to go out and chop up a little kid and rape a family and then at the end go, oh, I'm sorry, but, you know, I always say to people, imagine if that was your child that had been chopped up. So there's two sides of the... Yeah, yeah. If you could conclusively show that that person had done that, they've got nothing coming, definitely. But because of the corruption... All the innocent people are getting executed. I don't think it's worth it. That's a debate for another day. It is. It is. Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. So have you read the actual books, all of Harris's books? Yes. Do you think that the um, he kind of went a bit off track over the course of his books, or do you think he maintained the brilliance of the first one? Look, every... The first movie or the first book's always great. Yeah. And then the system kicks in, the money men kick in and go, oh, we'll make a sequel. Yeah. Now, um, Sir Anthony Hopkins actually didn't want to do the the second two. Yeah. He'd had enough. <laughs> and you can always see with sequels, and we'll come to the Amityville horror in a minute, um, with sequels, it gets watered down. Yeah. The first one's got the impact. The first Godfather was brilliant. Yes. And then after that, it's, it's like... A victim of its own success. Let's try and make this at a slightly cheaper budget. Uh, we're bringing some actors that are not... But we'll use the mate, the, the first notoriety of the first mill. So it becomes a marketing exercise and it loses its gloss. I'd rather have a movie that is a one-off true crime movie or documentary series, which is absolutely brilliant and leave it at that. Yeah, because I watched them all, I read them all, and even some of his descriptions just seemed rushed and some seemed bizarre in his, as, it, as the series went yeah, along. Yeah, because all of his talent went into the first one. Yeah. And then the publishers turn around and say, look, come on, can we have another one? Yeah. And he's struggling because he doesn't really, but it's the money, isn't it? It's the yeah, money trial. Yeah. So, yeah, the Amityville Horror was a huge name. Was, did that come out in the 70s, was it? 74, Ronnie Seven. DeFeo massacred his family. I think all all your true crime buffs out there will remember the house, the haunted house so thing, sort of thing. Uh, November 1974, Ronnie DeFeo picked up a Marlin rifle, shot his fam- family of six to death in their beds. Um, he's now serving a life sentence at the Greenhaven Correctional Facility um, in New York, I interviewed him there years ago. Um, a horror film, and one of the most disgraceful books and TV and movies that have generated out of that ever since on a basically a fraud. The first book was marketed as a true story. Nothing could have been further from the truth. There was no elephant uh, pigs flying around outside windows. There was no blood coming out of walls. I mean, I went there, I talked to the police and everything else, and we, we made a documentary there. And it literally, the, the book and the first movie literally pissed over the graves of four little children and two parents. Is that because of the success of The Exorcist at the, around that time? They wanted to make it yeah, like really. I think so. Um, and. The the movie was a big hit, had some good stars in it, but there have been so many books written based on that first, again, coming back to the sequels, and then anything, that, and there must be a dozen or more movies, The Amityville Awakes, The Horror Awakes, um, all that sort of crap 
that's coming out. But that those when you see you the the viewer can watch the scenes of crime photographs on the internet of the blood and those little children blasted to pieces in in that house, and yet all these filmmakers have made this bullshit stuff saying it's a true story when it's not, and I find that repulsive. What is the word for someone who murders their family? Huh? Is there a word for someone who murders their Familicide. family? Familicide. Because I just watched a... There's a channel on YouTube called JCS Psychology, I think it's called. It was the case of this Vietnamese girl. And the Vietnamese girl, she was like a child protege. She was like a champion, I don't know, skater or something. And um, the parents really like brought their kids up with a lot of pressure to have high performance in academia or if not academia then sports and she was more sports orientated but as she got older i think she had an injury and she had to go back to academia and she was coming in with like c grades and and below so she started to for, um, forge all of her grades forged that she was going on to university and wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend, so they didn't know about her boyfriend. When her parents found out, she got her boyfriend to hire hitmen to come into the house and, saw, and wipe out the entire I, family. I saw the case file on that. Yes. I saw the thing. Yes, I remember yes. now. Yeah. And I watched her getting interviewed. Yeah. They, yeah. And it's, it's, it's absolutely gobsmacking just to hear Yeah, but her. coming back to the amateur horror yeah. for one moment, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is what I'm saying about the movies, but there are some fabulous documentaries mm -hmm. on the Amityville case okay. online. Okay. So rather than throw your money away going to the flicks or hiring a video on the Amityville Horror, which is based on this bullshit, yeah. why not watch a decent, well-made TV documentary? Yeah. Where you where I mean, I'm not just saying because I made one, but I'm just saying that you get a lot of really first class um what they call those movies that are made very quickly, but um, indies, independence. Yes. Or you can get very, very good documentaries that are well-researched. Movies like that and books like that, fiction, say they're based on fact and they're not like The Chainsaw Massacre that was uh, allegedly, we'll come to that in a minute, that was based on fact, it wasn't. But so for the true crime buff that likes true crime books, this book of mine is really looking at the little things that you should watch out for to make, make a good sensible decision and and not to think ah oh, those bodies or those children or those parents have been exploited like in the amateurville case and all of christopher's links are in the description box below this video you can click over to his site his socials and his books right down there just one click away my question is then so i saw the root cause of what made this young vietnamese woman um kill her parents or have tried to kill her parents because the father went into a coma he survived and she'd give the cops all this testimony about what had happened and he remembered what had happened it was completely contrasting what she said so in amityville what was the root cause that caused butch defeo to take out his his family um well it, it comes down to like he, he there was a lot of tension going on in the family. He was the oldest, the oldest boy, and uh, his father was sort of mafia linked. Um, he was a very brutal man. He beat his wife about. Um, 
you know, these are bling people, um, mafia type type of people that have come from um, Brooklyn. And uh, and um, Ronnie's a renegade. I mean, I I met him. He was hanging around with a load of drug addicts, as thick as thick as fuck. And and they're driving around, leaving rubber all around. Quite Amityville, such a beautiful little place. It's upscale. I mean, when the Diffios moved in, you know, with black limos and people getting out of the car with, you know, <laughs> violin cases, you know, <laughs> and and he's erecting a shrine in the garden. You know, and the people in Amityville are sort of very conservative. And, you know, well, what are those people doing coming here? And the sheriffs were banging on the door every day and a lot of tension. And he was so drugged up and there was a lot of friction between him and his siblings that one night he thought to himself, right, he'd watched the movie Castle Keep down in his basement room. And about very early in the morning, he just picked up this Marlin rifle and shot everybody dead point blank range. And then he, he claimed that the mafia had done a hit on the family. Um, and then he eventually ends up at, Suff uh, at Yapank Police Headquarters and he's, he's given the police a runaround and he's interviewed by Detective Dennis Rafferty and Lieutenant Robert Dunn. And I interviewed those as well. They were homicide cops. And they beat the shit out of him with a Long Island telephone book, which is a big book. <laughs> and, of course, he confessed to it all. But now he says he's innocent. He's still claiming innocence. Yeah, well, he, ch he chops and changes. He's an idiot. What can I say? <laughs> so another old classic then is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I remember watching that, getting freaked out when I was a young person. Yeah. Yeah. So was that based on true events? No, it wasn't. Um, it, it was. It, they said it was based on a true story, and I did quite a lot of research. And, uh, you know, they say this location was in this little town called Poth down in Texas or wherever it was. Um, well, I, I haven't been to Poth, and I don't really want to go there because I think it's one of those one-horse towns where it's got an old bank or something and a seed store because they've all got seed stores out there, you know. Texas has got a unique character, hasn't I it? I love Texas, actually. I yeah. love it. I love Anything can happen. Yeah, mate. I yeah. love Texans. But it was based, It was all fictional. Um, people have been sawn up with chainsaws. One man committed suicide using a chainsaw. And he was a bio, a biochemist. Where did he do his innards? Yeah, I mean, he killed his wife first of all, and then he he killed himself. How can you commit suicide with a chainsaw? I mean, you've got to be off your head, haven't you? Another one, um, the guy he um he he chainsawed up somebody, um, and he was an he was a school teacher or professor, so he hired a chainsaw and sawed his partner up his gay partner into pieces but then he took the chainsaw back and of course when it was serviced there was all bone and flesh inside it so he got caught but the chainsaw massacre great story it's one of those typical ones where you get half a dozen three or four is it dim-witted kids they go out wandering around the fields they come across a graveyard or something and they go oh look grandpa's grave's been then they go to this haunted house and there's that leather. Oh, my God. And he goes around soaring up and putting somebody in a freezer and hanging them on meat hooks. But it didn't happen. And some of the locations for that film, which have been portrayed to be the real locations, they're thousands of miles apart. <laughs> didn't... Uh, <laughs> but one little point I've got to tell you. Yeah. This little town called Poth, 
Now, you've been to Texas. You've been to small town Texas, haven't you? Oh, yeah. It's not, <laughs> not so different from small town Arizona. No. Right. Well, Poth claimed they made a mistake, actually. What they did was they said, well, we, the, this happened here. This was a true story. It happened in our town, our small town. Then they opened up a store saying Chainsaw Massacre and memorabilia. And thousands of rednecks from all over the states go and visit where they think the Chainsaw Massacre happened. And it literally drove the locals out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but Texas, I love it. I love I love their their attitude. You know. Yeah, feisty and gunslinging. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And the fact that all the men call the women mum. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a kink. All right. So um, the stranger besides me, Ted Bundy. So of all the serial killer stuff I've watched, I've got to admit the way Ted Bundy just charms people, the way he has the judge eaten out of his hand, I found that some of the mind, most mind-blowing and the most compulsive to watch. So... What is The Stranger Beside Me? Is that a documentary or a movie? Well, The Stranger Beside Me was a movie. Uh, Anne Rule, the late Anne Rule, brilliant writer. Uh, she she had a fling with Bundy earlier on. So she, this is where The Stranger... So she's one of Bundy's women before Bundy was arrested. Yeah, yeah. And um and and she had this affair with him, and uh, and um she was a journalist, a, a, a red-top journalist. And a was she the one in Utah? No. Okay. Don't think so. No. And anyway, she had an affair. She was much older than him. Yeah. Uh, it, like you said, his charm won her over, boy's charm. Mm -hmm. And um, and she worked with him on a sort of like a good Samaritan's hotline at one time. Yeah. And um, then, but she was sleeping with him, but obviously she didn't realize that there was this different person beside her that was really there. And she wrote a book, and it's a damn good book. And the movie... The Stranger Beside Me is a good watch. But then you get the sequels. Bundy, the all-American icon. What? they Don't people realize what icon means? <laughs> and it goes, those movies go, and I've sort of put them in the book, and, and I haven't just slammed them for the sake of it. I mean, I look at Ebert's... Um, criticisms online i i look at the facts of the case i try to do this and the rest of it and i look at the acting and one critic said that it was the worst acting ever they must mm. have just gone to the worst acting school and picked the worst actors and paid them peanuts mm. to do it and then but people because it's got the bundy tag or the amityville tag people go oh, i've got to watch that but there are some fabulous documentaries and indies on Bundy, so that's worth watching. All right, well, let's explore the Bundy story a little bit more because I am, he's, he's the serial killer, one of the, he's near the top of most fascination for me, definitely. And um, let's start with him then on death row. So I'm always interested in the root causes of why people come to these, you know, horrendous decisions and nature versus nurture. Bundy. He cites pornography. Now, is he just buying time because he's trying to get his execution date pushed forward, saying, I've got more information to give you. I've got this mitigated circumstance of pornography. 
Uh, I'm going to tell you about more victims. Is he just making all this stuff up to buy time? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was it. I mean, he, you know, he's. He, 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 we all know what happened at his trial, basically, that he should have been. He, he got rid of his counsel and he represented himself. And now they say anybody that is their own lawyer is a fool. Uh, and he, he come unstuck. And they fried him. But towards the end, he started to realise that the day was coming now. He's all outside going, burn, Bundy, burn. Yeah, burn, Bundy, burn. Bundy, burn. Bundy, Bundy burgers. Bundy burgers. Bundy burgers, yeah. Outside. Yeah. All the, yeah. And, and the thing was, he tried to buy time. So the FBI guy comes down from Washington State and he starts talking to him in the, in the second person, third person. And Bundy's, what Bundy's trying to do is say, well, look, you know, I know where a lot more bodies are buried, and I can do a lot more of this, that, and the rest of it. You know, like give me a bit of time, and and we can. But of course, that wasn't going to wash. And then, of course, there was the the Stephen Michaud book, um, the fabulous book of all the interviews that they did. I think sixty or seventy hours of interviewing Bundy. Fabulous book. That I've mentioned that in there. Was that what they used on the Bundy tapes? Yeah. Oh yeah. Good program. Bundy yeah. Tapes. Excellent yeah. program. Good watch the Bundy tapes. Yeah. 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 So what was Bundy's childhood like? Um, he was uh, he didn't really know his true father. Um, I think he was adopted or something like that. I mean, but by and large, he had a childhood um, like most people, really. Uh, I mean, Professor Elliot Layton is one of the world's leading forensic anthropologists. He, he's very well thought of by the FBI. Does a lot of stuff. He's good, was a good, good friend of mine. We we chat occasionally, and he he said when he looks at mitigation, like oh, I had a bad childhood, right? He turns around. He said to me once a long time ago. He said, look, Chris, millions of kids have bad childhoods, but they don't all turn into serial killers, do they? End of story. So he had a, a childhood pretty average, <coughs> and then. Um, he, he he basically had a chip on his shoulder. That's what his problem was. He he was one of these guys, a bit like Kenneth Bianchi, the Hillside Strangler, who I know very well. I've interviewed him. And um he wanted to be more he wanted to be more than what he was gonna ever be. And it, Michael Ross, the serial killer that was executed in uh Connecticut several years ago. Um, he told me that he he felt to succeed, he was like a spider trying to climb up a pane of glass. Mm. And every time he nearly got to the top, he slipped down, and it was a constant struggle. And that's what Bundy was doing. And he developed this almost a multiple personality, didn't he? Charming. Some people say, well, I mean, the ladies might say he's handsome, like you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you proposing? <laughs> Not me. But, but the thing is, that's what that was his his thing. Um, and he had this habit of reinventing himself. One minute he's a pseudo cop, next minute he's something else or something else. Um, yeah, he was charming. A lot of people, but but the, was he good in school early on? Because he had this seemed to be have a brilliant mind as well. He had a good mind, but he yeah. he just he, he, the. the what happened, his original problem started was he had a really special girlfriend. He was trying to get into politics. He had this beautiful girlfriend that came from down south, uh, very upscale parents, uh, and he want, he dated her. He wanted to get into that set. So he wanted to be in politics so he could keep this girl. 
Oops. But he couldn't he couldn't live up to it. He yeah. couldn't live up to it. And though when she dumped him, he started killing in her image. And if you look at all of his victims' photographs, they're almost like sisters. Wow. So that sorority sisters yeah, when you turn yeah. this off. That would be great, thanks. Then towards the end, he killed a child then. Why do you think he went off his usual pattern and killed a child? Well, he he he, he committed the Kaimiga house murders. That's how we got the teeth mark on the buttocks. That's what eventually sealed his flight. And then he went off somewhere else into Florida. And for some reason, whether it was he was now completely out of control, he uh, abducted that little schoolgirl. Um, and if the viewers watch the Bundy tapes again this is a must watch this is a must watch you know forget the movies that's a must watch um, and um, he dumped her body in um, in a hog shed uh, and she was a police officer's daughter and then he was driving erratically in his VW and he was pulled over by the cops he, he refused to give his name for a while but eventually of course they, they got him and um, fried him and did he torture the victims then before he killed them? Was that part of his thing? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's it, it, it's not a recognised fact, but a lot of people will know that he did go back and exhume some of the corpses and 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 ate parts of them and and had sex with some of the bodies when they were rotten and falling apart. I mean, that's a, a side of Bundy which is not generally broadcast, but it is a known fact. Mm -hmm. uh, torturing them. Um, from the minute, obviously they were knocked unconscious. Um, a lot of them, it was a snatch and grab. Um, what he did with these, this is one of the terrifying things about Bundy. We don't know how, what he actually did and the horror he put those girls through. But when you look at skull fragments, what he did to those girls' heads and mm -hmm. bodies, the hor the terrible thing is, is we don't know how terrible he was. <coughs> Excuse me. Have another drop of gin, if I may. Yeah, help yourself. So, Bundy escaped multiple times. How did the cops just let him slip through the net like that? Well, what the first time he escaped, um, he was he was doing he was in a court court room upstairs in an office doing his so called legal paperwork, but he was unshackled. And he asked the guard if he could just... The guard said, well, I want to go outside and have a cup of coffee. Are you all right, Ted? Ted said, yeah, but it was an open window. <laughs> it was... The it was, guard went for a cup of coffee? Or something like that. Yeah, he went out the room. Whoa. And the, Bundy saw this open window, and it was about a story and up, up. It was about 25 feet, and he jumped out, and he twisted his angle, but he got away. And uh, and he killed while he was on the run, and then he um, he got caught, and he that was it, and he got brought back again. The second time, he was in a crappy little jailhouse and he lost a lot of weight and there were these tiles in the ceiling of the cell and he, he climbed up on, got through this little hole climbed along the roof the ceiling dropped down into the, the, the sheriff's office or his bedroom or something when the sheriff was out and then walked out the front door <laughs> grief <laughs> so so bright it was bright I mean you know genius yeah yeah wow um, so out of the whole 
Bundy story then. What have you personally found the most fascinating about him? I, I'm going to go along with what you say. Uh, I think that his this mask of normality, yeah, hiding the beast underneath, yeah, yeah. that that's the fascinating thing about him. Um, we don't want to dwell too much on uh, on his crimes because they're terrifying. But the 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 fact that, like you say, he he represented himself in court. He was very eloquent. Judge Cowart actually said, you know, it's a shame, laddie. You know. Another time, you could have, I would have had you in front of me prosecuting or defending. He, he he was intelligent, but what when you look at that, you watch the Bundy tapes or whatever. He's so normal, but how evil was he underneath? Yeah, yeah. Okay, next one, monster. Oh, another quick question. Actually, the stranger beside me, did she have no inkling? About him at all was a no not little clues that she perhaps overlooked. Anne Rule, yeah. Now Anne Rule sort of got a sniff of it uh, because she was working, I think, on a newspaper at the time, and she was covering some of these one homicide, two homicides, and there were descriptions. And somebody said, "Well, I think they heard him say his name was Ted or something." And then she went to the police and said, "I think there's some. I, I hate to say it, but I think this could be Ted Bundy, the guy I know." And the cops did a check, and and they let it slip. <coughs> All right, smokers cough. Excuse me, monster, Eileen Lee Warnos. Yes, of Lee. the movie starring Charlie's Theron. Yeah, probably butchered them. So I watched this one, and she had some mitigating circumstances, didn't she? Yeah, I um, it, this is one of the cases that really upset me. Um. Initially, I wrote a chapter in a book, one of my bestsellers called um, Talking Serial Killers. I did a chapter and I started to research it. And then I think I might have mentioned this last time to you, Sean, that it was like a bottle of whiskey time. I just can't get my head around this. <laughs> um, this girl's had a terrible childhood. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. You know, she was born on the wrong side of the tracks. And it, yeah. it, it was the most awful childhood. Terrific, yeah. And, uh, and I, I and I got really upset, and then I had to sort of stop and think: Is this a man woman's thing? Because I don't get like this over guys. Is it because she's a woman, and I'm, my head's all up the creek? But the more I, I did this chapter, and then all of a sudden, my publishers come to me and saying, "Chris, they want to make a film called Monster on with Charlie's Theron because you do the book." And I said, well, you, you said, you know, you've done a lot of work on it to do the film so they go hand in hand. And um, I said, yeah, how long have I got? A year or two years? He said, no, 30 days. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. I did it in 24. <laughs> but um, going back to the movie, it's not a long movie. Uh, it doesn't touch on her childhood, on on Lee's childhood at all. Um, for very good reasons, because I don't think it's necessary. From my point of view, I, I look at it and I think, well, that's not the right car in that accident. Or it's, but in the time span that they made the movie and Charlie Theron's acting, it's first class. 
it's a must-watch film. Yeah, definitely. I enjoyed it. it so it, it portrays the horrific things that happened to her when she was involved in sex work. What happened to her when she was a child? Um, well, um, her, her her father was uh, a paedophile rapist who hung mm. himself while he was in prison. So he um, abused her, her own he, father. More than likely. Uh, no evidence that he did, but I wouldn't be surprised. Then um, he, 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 her mother dumped her on her grandparents, on the grandparents. Uh, the father was a brutal man. Uh, you know, what goes on behind closed doors and shuttered windows? Um, and he used to beat her when she was nine, eight, with a leather belt. You come home, take your leather belt off, make us polish it and, and clean it, then lay her over a table naked and thrash her. Abused her, beat her up. Poor little kid. She got pregnant at a very early age, hanging around with kids. Um, put her in an unmarried mum's home. When she went home, a, a f grandfather made her sleep out in the snow in an old car. Um, this was an evil man. <coughs> and... Um, Anyway, she went on the on the road, on the land, whatever they call it, and um pretty little thing, pretty little thing, little blonde, gingham skirt, you know, but she was streetwise. She got it and she started going to pool halls and she was a tough little cookie. Anybody upset? I mean, one pool room she went to, they, she was drinking heavily and the, and the, one of the customers said, look, I had a row and the owner of the bar said out to her, get out. And next minute somebody shouted duck and she threw a pool pool ball at him so hard he ducked and it embedded in the wall but she was on she was always committing petty crimes and stuff like that and then she washed up in florida um you know and then she met um Taria moore uh a gay girl a lesbian and um and lee, lee became very attached to her uh, she'd do anything for Taria, and 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 this is why I've always argued that, and I'm now getting a lot of support from psychologists and psychiatrists um, that Lee wasn't a psychopath. Funny enough, she was capable of genuine love. A, ge a real psychopath isn't, and that she adored. And she went. Lee went with some two hundred guys as an interstate hooker, and she killed six or seven. I think it's seven. And you ask yourself, why? Why seven? And when her trial came up, a lot of her clients risked their family lives and reputations to wanted to go to court and say, look, she was a good girl. You paid your money. She did the business. And that was it. Why six or seven guys that she killed? She shot them. They beat the hell out of her. They ordered a strip. They did try to rape her, not pay her money. And here's this streetwise girl. She's got a six-shot revolver. Bang. That's it. Took their money. Two months. That's it. We've got it. Was she bisexual then? Yes. Yeah. But leaning more towards uh, being a lesbian, but she obviously slept with guys. But that's more. that was purely business. So who was the first person she killed and why? I think it was uh, now, what's his name? Um, Mallory. Richard Mallory. Uh, he was from the other side of the state. Um, a womanizer had a TV repair business, a drunk, uh, two cars, 
was known to visit the local bars in, I think it was in Tampa, if I'm not sure, I think it was Tampa. Uh, he used prostitutes, he beat them up, he had a history. But every now and then he travelled across the state. And on one trip, he he saw Lee thumbing or on a freeway. And he, he said, do you want to we'll get some beers and want have some fun on the way? But then he started to beat on her. And he was a nasty man. And that set her off and she shot him. Lee Mallory. And what is Lee doing now? And what about her lover? What happened to her? Uh, um, that's another tragic thing about this case. Um, I mean, I, I did a lot of stuff down with the FDLE, which is the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. I interviewed a lot of the cops down there. Um, Lee got caught. Uh, Tareer Moore ran off. <coughs> Tareer Moore was definitely involved in one of the murders. Um, the police didn't bother about her. They got her to grass Lee up. Um, Lee protected her to the very end. Um, and the cops did what they normally do down in those sort of places. They sold the stories, they bullshit stories. They all got nice houses, big cars. One of the guys I interviewed was Captain Binnegar, uh, bumptious tosser. Um, yeah, well, we did. We sold. We made a lot of money out of her story. We did this. We did that. Uh, got a new car. Uh, assholes. So was she death penalted? She got lethal injection. Yeah. Did she have a smart ass remark before she went? Before before she died, did she say something? Yeah, something about going to another planet and she'd come back again one day. I can't okay. remember exactly what she said. <laughs> Do you know what she was? A, she was okay. Yeah. Basically, you get the impression that when you read about her and you talk, you know, you look stuff about her, you know, she looks evil. Um, but inside, she had a heart of gold. She was a good girl. She was streetwise and a terrible childhood, and basically, she was a good kid. And I think what they did to her was a, another absolute disgrace killing her all right henry lee lucas henry portrait of a serial killer yeah good old henry so he killed not as many people as they said he killed no i mean wherever you look you'll say 200 <laughs> plus <laughs> i interviewed henry on um death row uh the, which he was on death row at the time he got commuted to life and then he died of natural causes but i interviewed henry at ellis unit um behind a screen he got a glass eye dripping gunge uh thick as a plank and he, he actually said to me and i think it's in one of the documentaries that we we got him on film he said i, I done killed no one <laughs> so i said but henry you know come on he said, I done killed no one, never. He said, I done killed my mum. <laughs> he said, and then I done I done killed my sister because she was because she was saying I done killed my mum. <laughs> now he'd, he'd, with with Henry, he teamed up with Otis Tall, who was another brain dead idiot. And they cut a swathe right across the southern states, well, all across the states apparently, killing everything chickens raping chickens what yeah he raped a chicken bestiality bestiality they they would they would do every sort of killing that you could think of allegedly but the thing with henry he only got he only got convicted of one murder 
and it was called the Orange Sox Murder. And a girl's body was found down by the side of a freeway in a drainage ditch. And they never knew who she was. And the only reason they called her Orange Sox because she was wearing orange socks. Wow. And that was the only, only killing that he got convicted of. But what about his mom? Didn't he get convicted of that? No. And well, no, he went to prison and then he told he was in prison for quite a while. I think he was actually in prison for killing his mum or somebody, but he was in prison. But but when his time came to be released, he told the prison authorities, If you release me, I'll kill as soon as I get out. And and he was so he was having sort of dreams about weird dreams about ghosts coming to get him, and they literally had to throw him out of the prison. Day later, they found a body not far away. I put him down to about eight murders. But the thing was, what again, it comes to this media circus with police. The minute they get this guy, serial killer, boom, in jail, every law enforcement agency in America, right up to Washington State, said, Christ, we've got some unsolved murders here. Let's get down. We'll pin them on Henry. And sometimes they actually had it that, he was 200 miles away from somewhere else when the murder was committed. So that just shows the incentive then, doesn't it? The police just to find somebody to solve yeah. a murder. And that, as we've mentioned earlier, sometimes that feeds into grabbing an innocent person. Yeah. And I mean, I did well. I did the, the, the filming down there. I went to different counties where, you know, um, where, the, where, where Henry did, was involved in some way or the other. The old granny lady that he'd, set fire to and and stuff like that. You win a film crew and it's, you know what Texas is like. You know, you get in these small towns, there's tumbleweed growing down the road on a Saturday, it's dusty. And we went to a place, went to one town square with a hanging tree still out front, the old courthouse, the gallows at the top, it's an old steel caboose out the back. And Fraser, my producer and I, we went for his coffee the guy said, oh, this used to be the bank, the old bank. He said, it got shot up by Bonnie and Clyde. He said, you still see the bullet holes in the wall outside. And then the sheriffs out there, they got their big hats on. They got their cowboy boots up on their desks. It's a different world. Yeah. Sounds like Arizona again. Yeah. And Otis, then, what was his story? Otis Tool, he was just a drunk hanger-on. He was quite a big guy. They were just like a killing tag team, you know. Um, but the murders, are, nobody understands why he only got only got did, done for one killing. When if there were so many, I mean, again, he was a bit like Defeo. He was thick. I mean, he he said, "Well, ha the police go to this place and find a body," and and he said, he turns around to me and he says, "Oh, um." No, I didn't. I didn't kill him. I didn't put that there. He said the police drew a map and told me I'd done it, so I did it. But he had new teeth put in. He was doing grip and grins with the cops. He had new suit. But the movie, what? Come back to the movie. I've not seen the movie with him in it. I've just seen um, documentaries. There's a couple of good movies on. Oh, is there? Henry. Well worth a watch. Um, I've got it in the book, which ones to watch, which ones to avoid. Um, but basically, he's the most boring, in real life, he's the most boring serial killer you could ever wish to meet. You know, he's, 
He can't even add up. We couldn't add up. What about John Wayne Gacy then? To catch a killer, he was a pillar of the community, wasn't he? Wasn't yeah, this John back? Wayne. What, what what era was that? It's going back quite a while now. But um, Gacy, I mean, every everybody who's watching this will know John Wayne Gacy. Um, the film To Catch a Killer was it was, it was um, Dennehy, um, Brian Dennehy, the actor. He, this is another Ace film. This is a TV, two-part TV one. Beautifully acted. Dennehy plays Gacy to perfection. Absolutely to perfection. It is a brilliant... It, the film. One of the slight criticisms, it doesn't deal with Gacy's childhood. <coughs> they, they, some people have criticised that, but there was no need for it. We're focusing on the murders. But the crawl space, the body is 33 or something, bodies under the crawl space under the house. Um, fabulous film, two-parter, brilliant acting, supported by law enforcement. So I did all the Gacy staff filming and I met uh, Joe Kozenzak, the chief investigator there, great guy. Um, a lot of stuff going on there in a the film. If you really want to watch a good program about a serial killer, you've got to watch Gacy. Um, Brian Dennis, his acting. So how did Gacy get his victims? Gacy, like um, Dennis Nilsson, the English serial, gay serial killer, uh, and a few others, uh, trawled for young boys that were outside railway stations or bus stops or looking at work, um, offered them a job. They're pretty well disenfranchised right reminds me very much um, about pete like peter Curtin, the german killer who who went to railway stations and picked up young as between the wars offered them a home a bed a bed and stuff like that uh, a bit almost like jeffrey dahmer um, i'm doing a book on jeffrey dahmer at the moment you know preying on innocent young prostitute boys taking them back showing them a handcuff trick because he says he's an ex-cop and stuff like that. I can get out of the handcuffs. Can you get out of the handcuffs? Once, mm. once it, that's it, the torture starts. And where did he commit these atrocities at? In his home in Des Plaines, Chicago, Somersdale Avenue. Didn't he have a family in his home? No. Um, he, he had a sister, his mum. His excuse was, oh, but they, they, I wasn't the only one living in the house. Uh, my mum was there and my wife was there and blah, blah, blah. But the stench. What was this kind of house was this? How was it set up? Uh, it was single, um, just a single floor uh, home, fairly upscale, um, but with a crawl space underneath. Um, it's since been demolished. Um, and, and the lot where it stood had was overgrown and strewn with rubbish for years. And it's in an unincorporated area, so they've got no, they have to clean their own mess up out there. And then somebody not so long ago bought it, and that upset the residents because they said the ghosts of Gacy will come back. So he was, over, he was overlooked as the killer because he was a pillar of society. Yeah. How did he rise up to be a pillar of society? Um, he, um, he's a bit like Bundy, really, but a little bit more successful than Bundy. Um, he was quite a shrewd businessman. He had a, he had a, a building 
company that he's uh, remodeling and stuff. Um, he got himself in, involved with the local politics. He became um, quite a, a you know shining example of a community leader. Uh, he was seen photographed with Rosalind Carter, the President Carter's wife. Um, he was involved in all the marches, the fundraising. So he doesn't look like a serial killer, does he? So everybody think, well, like Ted Bundy when he was doing his politics, politics stuff, and thought, what a lovely, clever man, lovely, well-groomed, well-spoken. Gacy was the same. Gacy, they reckon, 34, 33, 34 murders. Was there a sexual component to the murders? Yeah. Rape. Torture. Had a torture board. Did terrible things. But this is like Bundy... Uh, like Bundy, we don't know how terrible the torture was or how long it lasted and the pain. So, and in, incidentally, as a bit of a side note to this story, uh, when that movie came out, Gacy threatened to sue the actor, Dennehy, because he said it, it was all wrong. <laughs> he said it couldn't have been me that did all these murders. You said it was the stench that got him caught. Was he just stuffing the bodies down there or was he trying to dissolve them in acid? Had he took any precautions? No, it, no it, it, it was a, a receipt. I think it was a receipt for a television or something that was traced back to him that belonged to a little boy or a kid that went missing and photographs or something like that ah. off the top of my head. But <coughs> that's what <coughs> how it tracked it down and the police went to see him. They were following him for a long time. This is one of the great things about this movie, how the cops followed him and chased him and pressured him. And eventually they went to his house and one of the cops, stood in, you know, he was, I'm the local businessman, came in. One was standing in the front room and the other one said, can I just go to your bathroom? And he could smell it. Mm. You know, 30-odd bodies rotting under your basement. Mm. But there's a lot of crap movies about that. And one of them is a really bad one where you've got his wife is living in the house in this movie and she's walking around in a flimsy nighty at night and she looks out the window and there's a body on the floor of the garage and chains and rubber masks and God knows. And she says, John, where are you? And all of a sudden, enough to scare anybody shitless, everybody watched this film and everybody's, my God, what's going to happen next? All of a sudden, bang, and out pops out of the basement this hatch. I'm here, dear. <laughs> and you think the woman wasn't even in the house. <laughs> so John Wayne Gacy's known for his clown serial killer art, and I believe you possess some items of this. Two. Two. Yeah, but I don't hang them on the wall, Sean. <laughs> Because it scares the kids. <laughs> Do you um, what, uh, what what what's in them? What's are they are they clowns? Yeah, yeah, quite good. Grotesque. Well, they are. I mean, they're, they're very garish colours. Um, you know, I've got some artwork from um, Broadmoor from Paul Beecham years ago. He was a very great, a good painter. He was even muscular. Um, you need to talk to Boris about that because he's he wants to be on here. He's got some fabulous stories about Broadmoor. Oh, Boris, yeah. Got some, but but Gacy's a very crude. But um, when you look at uh, the art done by somebody that's obviously mentally disturbed, 
and I'm a painter myself, quite well known painter, and and you can tell, <laughs> you can tell that, that the person painting it is is not the full wicket, and there's a lot of anger in this clown paintings that comes out from the picture. They're not like you go to a circus and you see a happy clown bouncing around on a rubber ball. There's this anger coming out of the artwork. So the clowns are like torturing people or anything? No, just ordinary clown pictures. But, but you can see they've got that. You can, yeah, he's got evil that. Evil clowns. Got Stephen that, King clowns. Yeah, but it's not overtly evil. But, but of course, Gacy did dress up as a clown and went to kiddies' parties and as an entertainer. And then you start thinking Jimmy Savile, don't you? <laughs> the, you get, see where you get the parallels. Yeah, there. yeah. We've got our Jimmy Savile four-hour documentary coming out soon. Now, you... Again, you need to talk to Boris because Boris has got some fabulous stuff on Peter Sutcliffe. Oh, Sutcliffe. And and um And Savile. And Savile. Ooh. And Boris has got hold of some ex staff at Broadmoor who have given him stuff that will blow your mind. He's doing this book with me, but it's his book. Is Boris ready to come on? He, he he wanted to come up today, um, mm. but he, he was gutted when I said, well, it's one o'clock, and he said, I can't be free till two. But I did say I would mention it to you because he's got some amazing We're stuff. filming every Sunday this month here. Yeah. yeah, well, you, you, you've got his you, – I'll get him to contact you. Okay, great. But he, we, he's got 13 killers, some stuff on Broadmoor. And, grief. And it is terrifying. Yeah, can't wait to um, interview Boris. How much does Gacy art go for in the serial killer art market? Well, I don't know what today's prices are. I mean, I don't really bother. But back then, when I got them, I didn't get them from John personally, but I got them from somebody that was dealing with Johnny. And funny enough, a young lad, who had a, they had a crush on, on each other. And um, the, these two items came up for sale. I don't think I paid much more than about 20 quid for them. That's what I was going to ask. Does serial killer art, is there like an active market in it and you buy it from someone who owns it or do you buy it from the artist? Uh, it depends. If you're in contact with the inmate personally, you buy it direct from him. But there are these dealers on the internet that do sell stuff, you know. Um, and it Some people forge serial killer art. I probably do. Yeah, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I haven't come across it. I don't. I don't really go looking for it anymore. I mean, it doesn't really interest me. But I, I've got paintings, drawings, some from Ken Pianki, the Hillside Strangler. Uh, um, but he sent me a, a cardboard tube with these drawings in them, and and I looked straight away at them, and I thought these drawings have been done by different people. <laughs> it's good, but but there at the bottom is Kenneth Bianchi's signature. So what he does, he, he gives somebody some tobacco to do a drawing. <laughs> and then he signs it and he sells them. Getting his hustle on. And how many total... The, the things that do sell well, I mean, I've got letters from all of the big serial killers. and Henry Lee Lucas, is he, that's big money. His letters? Yeah, and Ted Bundy. You've got a Ted Bundy letter. You really hit, you know, you, you're talking telephone numbers. Telephone numbers? Mm. Hundreds of thousands. A lot of money. Good grief. Yeah. Wow. Um, what happened to John Wayne Gacy in the end? How did he die? A lethal injection. Oh, lethal injection. Um, 
he 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 got the wrong end of the stick, funny enough, because they they moved him from um, the main prison where he was on death row, um, and then they moved him to this death row facility. He was one of the last to actually be executed in in the state because mm. uh, the governor was coming out of office and he had a sort of like change of heart. What have I been doing all these years? I abolished capital punishment in you know Illinois, and um and um he was one of the last ones to get the juice, um, but he went. He went badly. Mm. He, he didn't go down well. They botched it deliberately, I think. They botched it and they made him suffer. And Henry Lee Lucas, did he just expire of natural causes? Yeah, he got he got his sentence commuted by Bush. I think it was Bush. Um, uh, because he was mentally ill. Which Bush was that? I, the first one, I think. George H.W. <coughs> I'm not sure it was him. He, and then he died of natural causes, and he's buried at Peckerwood Cemetery in um, Huntsville, where they bury all the executed offenders that are not claimed. And he had more. Henry's uh, funeral had mo had more mourners than any killer in history. Hundreds turned up. Why would you say that is? Because of his so-called infamy. So they were groupies. They weren't haters. They weren't burn, Bundy, burn. No, no, no. But, but you, you know, Henry was a pathetic guy. He wasn't. If you put him next to, if you had like them two sitting in the same room, Bundy and 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 Henry, you'd forget Henry was there because he's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the movie Psycho, based on any true events. Psycho. This is the Vivian Lee hacking to death in the shower. Shower scene. Shower yeah. scene. Hitchcock. Yeah. Hitchcock, who abused all his female actors, as you know. Um, he he was a short, dump, a very talented man, um, very short, dumpy character, um, sexual deviant. Um, the girl in the film Birds, they had these starlings and they kept them in a box and they half starved the starlings and they rattled the cages and she hated, she was just hated birds. She was scared of birds, this particular actress. And he punished her because she, she'd rejected him and he set these birds on her and she was in hospital for five days being, after being pecked and traumatized. He was a very brutal man, Hitchcock, very clever, very talented. But Psycho... I mean, you've got um, the Bates Motel. You remember? Yeah. Mother. And the dead mother upstairs in the bed, the corpse, the mummified corpse. Um, and then you've got the actress who's conned her boss out of money, drives through a rainy night and ends up at the Bates Hotel. But then again, you've got to look at the names. You look at his name was Master Bates, the Bates Hotel. <laughs> It's Hitchcock, you know, so um, it's just a slasher movie. But it was the first one where there was this element of a sexual thing behind a shower curtain. And then, of course, I bet you're not going to ask me about Jodie Arias, are you? The shower murder. Yes, I will ask you about Jodie Arias because on JCS what Psychology. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> do you know what that Arizona case too yeah yeah I know that's a miracle that you asked me about that but it's a shower stabbing um, and it's spooky um, and it's a good watch I mean I can't compare it with any other film but all the Hitchcock's films are very scary lots of stuff going on underneath but it was one of those first ones where I'm far more suspenseful than what we've got now in slasher movies like yeah. the build up yeah yeah all right so going on to jody arias then yeah what do you know about that case well guys and girls she was a cracking looking girl and she fell in with this hunk travis um and they were sort of pseudo-religious going to these because uh, he was a motivational speaker from the Mormon faith wasn't he yeah, yeah but they were breaking every rule in the Mormon faith by bonking like crazy and sex toys but he was out preaching and stuff about Mormonism <laughs> and um, anyway he decided that she was too clingy uh, and to cut a long story short um she crept into his house one evening when he was alone and then um, got into bed with him, tried to convince him to go back to her. She was possessive. She was a bunny boiler, really, sort of a bunny boiler. And I uh, got into bed and it's all very sordid and red top and tied him up and he, she tied him up and took photographs of, of, with his camera. And because she was such a hunk, she said, and she was a sort of semi-professional photographer. She said, well, look, look, go and have a shower. I'll take some photographs of you into the running water. <laughs> and as he was in there, she had a camera in one hand, taking multiple click, click, click shots and pulled out a knife and she did a psycho on him. And the viewer, if, if they're in a mind to, they can go on the internet and you will see the photograph sequence of Travis being stabbed and then you will see the blood trail where he tried to crawl away up the hallway. He went to the bathroom first, went to the nearby bathroom first. She stabbed him from behind in the bathroom. The blood is all over the place. I mean, this is psycho, psycho, times 100 psychos. And then he tried to crawl up the hallway to the bedroom, leaving blood all over the place. And she knelt down, slashed his throat, almost beheaded him, dragged him back, and then put a bullet in his head. And then, of all stupid things she did, was she threw the camera into the washing machine but forgot to switch it on, and that led to her arrest. Her trial, there's no movie on this case. There's one or two documentaries that are worth watching if you're really into gore. But the trial is in its entirety on the internet. I think it's 13 hours of testimony. And it is, if you want to, if your wife wants to divorce you, <laughs> this is the way to go about it, guys, <laughs> because it, it is riveting of this trial of how cold-blooded she is. Beautiful, but cold-blooded. And she speaks very well, doesn't she? Very educated Presents girl. herself very well. Yeah, and the, the fact that you see all the shrinks and the psychologists trying to get her off the hook, the prosecutor's very tenacious. It is 
better than any TV documentary. It's real-time stuff. But that's the psycho. She tries to say he was a woman, be <coughs> a woman beater and a paedophile mm. and all this other stuff. But didn't it come out that he was taking another woman with him somewhere, like on a vacation? Yeah, he had enough of a possessive attitude. And she's, that's what made her snap. Yep. Yeah. And then at her sentencing, she's talking about all the charities she's got involved in and how she's um, selling this and that to raise money for this and that and how, no, I've, how I've sweet written, I've written she backwards is. and forwards to Jody a couple of times. She's very manipulative um, and extreme. She's almost like a Bundy, really, in in a intelligence and charm. And and you can watch some of the police interview, uh, the media interviews with her after she was sentenced. She comes very, very cottettish and very, oh, you know, and, you know, she's very attractive in her time. Now she looks washed out. What's fascinating is when they're interviewing her and just letting her give her side of the story in the very beginning and she thinks she's got away with it. Mm. But the cop, um, in that camera you mentioned in the washing machine, yeah, there were two pictures taken accidentally. And uh, one shows a foot right by the body. Yeah, yeah. So the cop. <laughs> yeah, knows she had a sock on. It was the, a sock. the cop knows he's going to tell her this at some point, yeah. but she's like just going along. Uh, you know, I was out of town. It wasn't blah blah blah. But then when he confronts her, and it all changes. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Um, yeah, th th just a point. Just to bring a point here. Although this book is about cinema and and also about documentaries and stuff, there is a tremendous amount of courtroom stuff on youtube yeah it's educational in fact what i don't understand is why people if they're going to go out and start committing serial murder watch some of these programs first of all and educate themselves how to get caught <laughs> <laughs> next one road to perdition i've not heard of that one the road to perdition is oh you've got you've got me just got my head now Stop. <laughs> I can't time think. Timestamp, timestamp. I'm kind of think now. Do you want me to Google it? Road to Perdition. Oh, yeah. Tom, Tom Hanks. Got it. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I'll, I'll start again then. Yeah. So the next one is The Road to Perdition. Tom Hanks. What did he get up to? Right. Tom Hanks. He's a mafia hitman. Uh, he's got a son and a wife and a daughter, I think it is. And he... Um, one of his colleagues, I think it's the James Bond guy, um, James Bond actor, the last one. The last James Bond actor? Yeah. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. He's, a, he's like the son of the mafia boss. And they go. They have to go and kill some gangsters in a warehouse. And then the little boy wants to go with his dad. And the dad says no, but the little boy climbs into the trunk of the car and witnesses this execution. And then Craig says, Daniel Craig says, well, we've got to get rid of the kid because he'll talk. And so Tom Hanks and his son go on the lam and they go to Chicago and then they start mixing with somebody like Capone or somebody. As gangster movies go, we all watch The Godfather and stuff like that. It's... An easy watch. It says it does what it says on the tin. It's superb acting, and 
there are some scenes which remind me of the Vetriano paintings um, of the Umbrella Man and stuff like that that a lot of people know on the beach. There's a certain paintings, and you'll see that at the shootout where at the end with the rain and the shadows coming towards you. Um, typical ending, everybody gets killed, so there won't be a sequel, except the little boy and his dog. And they end up in a farm with some nice people. Okay, so the mafia people I spoke to viewed it as like a contract with the government when you're in the army, kill or be killed. Your rivals could kill you at any moment. Don't harm women or kids. You know, you've got your family one side, take care of business on the other side. Then you've got your serial killers who are killing for completely different reasons. So would you say that a serial killer could fit into the mafia world as a hitman or are they incompatible those two worlds well most serial killers are sexually orientated Mike. sexually orientated yeah, that's their that's their rationale that's what they kill for i mean you get a few like john scripps who was executed in singapore was hanged for money um women serial killers normally for you know black widows kill for um husbands for pension um their insurance but um, male serial killers, they wouldn't get into the army, really. Um, you don't see many that have been in the army. Because or into the, the mafia. And, and, or into the mafia. Yeah, because the, the mafia is just a job. This, they don't care who they shoot. They just paid the money. To, but, and then they, they move. That, their motivation is money or the loyalty to their mafia bosses and stuff like that. They're soldiers. But to be an efficient killer, wouldn't you have to have certain psychopathic traits that are common between hitmen and serial killers otherwise if you rubbish at it you were a normal human person with normal human feelings you would probably get caught quite quickly in both professions both activities yeah but rather. i mean the hitman's a professional yeah serial killers aren't professional well they are but it, i mean that's their stock in trade is killing yeah but i mean it's a completely different mindset yeah I mean, I don't think the Mafia would... I mean, I don't know anything about the Mafia, but I don't think any capo would want some sexual pervert running amok killing people. No, they wouldn't. But if they it was like a, a non... Bundy. If it was like a non-sexual serial killer, that they could f channel that person into just going after their enemies. Possibly, but why not have them in-house? Bring them through the ranks. True, Yeah. No to trust them, come from the same neighborhood. Yeah. You know. Have you watched the movie about the Iceman? Yeah. Would you classify yeah. Would you classify him as a serial killing mafia character or just a mafia hitman businessman? Mafia. Well he was serial killer because he killed more than three. Yeah. With cooling off periods in between. But he was a businessman. But there is some overlap in legal. Yeah, definitions. yeah. I mean he was a businessman. He was a contract killer. He was stone cold. You know, that's it. That's his job and that was it. Yeah. He paid for it and Remember that story? Was it Mr. Frosty? <laughs> okay. Um, seven. Loved it. Based on the based on I remember the, that one. The deadly sins. Absolute brilliant because you've got all the devices, the the seven sins. You got a rookie cop, and you got the cop that's retiring, who takes the rookie cop on board. And the first homicide is like this guy. I think he's the one that gets gluttony, I think it is. 
and and he's found with his face down in, in a bowl of porridge or something like that. <laughs> and and the thing is, each of those sins is based on obviously one. You've got envy, you've got greed, you've got all the different ones. No serial killer in history has got all. It's a bit like Silence of Lambs. All those different mo's. I mean, one is one is where the guy's kept alive for a year, tied up in a bed. Now, how he survived for a year in this film in a bed or in real life, because who's going to bring him the groceries and the water? But it's so gory. You've got the Shylock one, the, the, the where a lawyer's found with some with his heart or something in his hand. It's like a pound of flesh. And there's some scales there. You know. And and you think to yourself, it they are cameos of each of the ending with a brilliant ending where the cop the young cop, his wife gets killed, so he decides to kill John Doe, who's the guy that commits all the killings. Bloody good film. Well watch well worth watch it watching. Um again great to look at all the different seven deadly sins and how they fit into it and that works and that's unique that's never been done in cinematic history before so let's say an agent is on the trail of a prolific killer how often is it that the killer turns his or her attention to killing the agent or family members of the agent does that happen good question sean I've never heard of it. You've never heard of it. Okay. No. Okay. And in Seven, then, was any of it based on killings in the real world, or was it all just fictional? Fictional. Okay. All right. The Green Mile. That's one of my all-time favorites. I mean, come back to that one. Gluttony. It, it, the sin is like eating, overeating. Yeah. But I've never known anybody be murdered with a lot of food. <laughs> can you see my point yeah <laughs> it doesn't yeah. happen <laughs> green mile yeah tom hanks again stephen king based on stephen king what i love about the film is the atmosphere i mean modern death rows are not like the green mile in the movie they they used to be like that um modern they're a bit drab sometimes. I mean, the one in Connecticut's all painted chocolate brown. Well, it was when I was there. Somebody got a lot of brown paint and they printed the whole pr prison in brown paint. Um, but the Green Mile, I loved it. I'll watch it again and again and again. Uh, the acting is superb. Um, the characters are brilliant. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a brilliant film about death row. But obviously, it's based on a novel. Uh, you've got the execution in Old Sparky of Delacroix. He he goes up in smoke, flames. That's happened in real life. Um, Buffalo Bill, Buffalo the lunatic, brilliant acting, true psychopathic acting. Um, Tom Hanks. And, uh, you know, and you've got Percy Wetmore, as we said earlier, little nuances there, Wetmore, Wetmore the sponge, because the sponge wasn't wet, and that's why the guy caught fire. And what happens, stays, what happens on the mile stays on the mile, memorable. 
So there was a case, wasn't there, whereby I think a cop was shot pulling some people over and the gunman cooperated and the couple who was in the car got the death penalty. Yeah. And because they thought that the man had killed a cop, they tampered with the equipment so he had a prolonged execution. Yeah. Fortunately, the woman was exonerated. I can't remember the name of the case now, but I've spoke to her online. Mm -hmm. um, there's a book out about it. And um, supposedly Stephen King used some of that in the Green Mile. Could well have done. I'm not aware yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. But Bundy's executioner was a woman. Was it? Mm -hmm. I was in tears. And I won't tell you who it was, but <laughs> she was a mum of one of the girls. Wow. I was teary-eyed watching the Green Mile when when the, the black guy, um, when he was going to die, knowing he was innocent. And it is representative of something that's been going on for a long time in America, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Which, which, which we spoke about earlier. And quite often, they'll just fry an innocent black man before the governor's up for re-election just to get those extra votes and tough What's up with Trump now? Part, he's, he's pardoned a load of his crony crooks, 50 of them at least. And he's just fast tracked seven executions, including the first one in a federal a first woman in federal. <sighs> now, yeah, whether you agree with the death penalty, you don't. <clears throat> that fat ginger haired turd of a president, for him to do that out of spite at towards the end. Yeah, I know a lot of Americans are going to rave at me and say, well, you know, we love Trump. Yeah, well, go good riddance to you. You've got a psychopath in office. But the point was for action to do that, to take his spite and his anger out on seven people, whether they deserved it or not, to fast track their executions, it shows you how obscene that man is. We've got another Stephen King one back to back. Shawshank. Yep. Um... Wow, this, this is consistently voted the best movie of all time. I did a program on Channel 4 whereby it was um, a top 10 countdown of favorite prison movies voted by UK prisoners. And Shawshank was, of course, number one. It's just got all the classic ingredients of a story, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Fabulous movie to watch. Again, um, when they made that film, they were bringing out a, a lot of real life stuff that actually goes on brutality in prisons the brutal prison guard the the, the bigger of a governor I, I could be a friend to you yeah the sisters <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean um you know uh you being obtuse um, what was his name? Bog, Bogs, Bogs Diamond was yeah. that the name <laughs> of the guy who comes up to him in the shower? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Shawshank Escape Story, um, fabulous movie, uh, great acting. Um, if you want to know about prison life as it used to be, a sort of what was going on, it's a must-watch. Sheriff Joe Arpaio wasn't too far removed from the evil sheriff, the evil warden. <laughs> you know, in don't Shawshank. you like Sheriff Arpaio? Well, come I had on, a little, tell me. I had, you a, can little, tell everybody. I had a little taste well, of tell his. Tell everybody about Sheriff Arpaio. <laughs> come on, in his tent city. Come on. I had a little taste of his uh, remand jail, that's all. <laughs> Where I've got videos of guards murdering men mentally ill prisoners in yeah. the, on my channel. He's a friend of Trump's. <sighs> Did you know that? Well, he, um, Trump. 
pardoned Sheriff Arpaio, yeah. didn't he, when Arpaio was found guilty of contempt of court, was it, for racial profiling? Yeah. Yeah. But He stuck two fingers up to the court, didn't he, basically? But Arpaio was a fan of um, Harry Anslinger, big-time racist who brought in all of our drug laws. <laughs> and he said, he said um, <laughs> the main reasons for making drugs illegal is the effect on the degenerate races. Yeah. And Arpaio had a, had a um, picture of him on his wall until he was booted out of office uh, as, as sheriff because Arpaio worked under him in the feds. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going back to the good old boy click. Yeah. All right, Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, again, Paul Newman. I don't know if everybody's watched Cool Hand Luke. Um, it, again, gold standard prison movie. It's set, the atmosphere is fantastic. The music's uh, unbelievable. Um, great actors. Um, again, you get this chain gang dusty prison farm atmosphere. Uh, when I was in Texas down at Ellis Unit, um, although chain gangs had been supposed to have been abolished a long time ago, you still see them working in the fields and the dust coming up and the shackles and the chains and Ar stuff. Arpaio had them collecting rubbish from the sides of the yeah. roads. and Yeah, yeah you. Uh, I mean, there was a guard on horseback at Ellis um, and he, <laughs> they got their Ray-Bans on. Chewing tobacco. Yeah, and he's got his Winchester, whatever, he's got his rifle, and I think my producer and I were talking to him. Um, and um, he, he basically said if they do a run for it, he said, I can shoot the eye out of a gnat at 500 yards, chewing his... You know, he was a right redneck idiot. Incidentally, Ellis Unit, the only way you could get into that death row in that prison was they had a tower, and they'd lower a bucket, and you put the key in the bucket and take it up again wow and that was a lish unit you know that was a big prison so there were some humorous moments in cool hand luke you've got the chain gang and then you've got the woman in the daisy dukes washing the car yeah yeah that yeah. was that was it's uh, magical film um again no sequel was necessary um you know when you like we talked about earlier you start getting sequels you start getting watered down paul newman brilliant acting um great ending a must-watch. Yeah, I concur. Oh, my goodness. Deliverance. Squeal like a pig. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Uh, again, not really a crime movie of sorts, but atmospheric, fantastic scenery, brilliant acting. Um, I had a bit of fun with this in the book because um, I sort of started off like i do a bit offbeat sometimes i go a bit not ott but off on a tangent and I, I imagine these actors being selected for their parts by the producer and saying so and so you're going to do this you're going to get anally raped halfway down the river you're going to drown and break your arm <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll have a nice day now you've got 30 miles down the rapids <laughs> and then you've got that fabulous banjo part in it which yes. is good yeah, and you've got the hillbillies who are are gonna gonna go out and kill everybody. The moonshiners, which is brilliant. I think the moon. I think they got a bit of a bad rap. Those hillbillies. To be honest with you, it's only two of them. But um, 
I'm going to forget that scene where he gets in the town and they got the banjo yeah. and the dancing and stuff and the thinking. Oh, well, look. actually, the actor that was plucking Ooh. it, the actor that was playing, it was being done behind his back with, another, ah. with the real guy that did yeah. it. But um, again, when you look at that, where that was filmed in the area, that sort of thing did go on. That actually happened in a lot of those rural areas um, where moonshining and that was was happening. So, yeah, again, fabulous film to watch. Um, if you want to see a lot of people go down a river and get hammered. Snowtown. I've not heard of that one. Ah, this Garaka. You know, this was a group of guys that in Australia who... One, the the group leader had so many excuses for committing these killings. One that he didn't like gays. One he didn't like paedophiles. One he wanted money. He, he couldn't come up with it. But this little group of killers went around killing a lot of people in, in Australia. Now, one of the big things I love about the whole subject is these killers go into a lot of trouble planning their killings but they don't really think about what's going to happen afterwards, i.e. disposal of the body. John Christie, 10 Rillingham Place, what a dummy. He puts the bodies in the shed and in the garden and under the floorboards of his house. Dennis Nilsson, London, puts the, chops the body up, keeps them in a cupboard, and then flushes some of it down the drain and blocks the drain, upsets Diner Rod. <laughs> now, you've got the Snowtown murders. How big's Australia? <sighs> Massive. How many people per per square mile there? You can't find anybody. It's that desolate. And what do these morons do? They put two of the bodies under the main killer's kitchen floorboards and they take some others and put them in barrels into some little half-twit town in the middle of nowhere with about six houses and a lot of kangaroos. <laughs> And there's a disused bank that's probably used, shot up by Ned Kelly or somebody, and they roll these barrels into this bank that's been disused. A neighbour's looking out the window and going, oh, there's men from the city again rolling barrels into that bank. I wonder what they're up to. What morons? And I really wanted to write to this guy who ran this lot because he's now in prison for life and saying, look, if you did listen sensibly to what I've written in books and done a bit of homework you would have buried those bodies in the outback and set fire to them where nobody could have found them but don't put them in barrels <laughs> in the back did you write to him and tell him this no i wanted to you i wanted put it to. in the book i really wanted to educate him to say look don't be because you could have gone on to retire happily <laughs> do you see my point <laughs> <laughs> um, I in, wrote a book actually about a banana crime family associate who was a multiple homicide murderer and he did a whole chapter on body disposal and one of the things was um, putting a dead animal so many feet above the corpse for the cadaver dogs to hit and hopefully that would stop them and, yeah. or ideally uh, they invested in funeral homes with double decker coffins yeah it's not so easy to get rid of a body I mean, it does take a bit of d doing. Um, you know, obviously, even if you burn it, you're going to have something left, but especially the teeth and things like that. But 
for these idiots to just go go and roll put the bodies and roll them into a bank and you've got you know, i just imagine the, the australian housewife looking out of a window and saying oh, there's those men from the city again what are they doing in that bank with those barrels and the old man sipping a can of beer says go and tie those kangaroos down love because they're gonna rush off sometime <laughs> you know what i mean it's almost comic out of all of the killers you've interviewed or researched who was the most adept at body disposal what a good question none because they all got found i think yeah so perhaps the one with the most victims before he got found would be at the top of the list someone like um gacy he had what almost 50 did he no about 33 34. 33 um we just dumped them in the in the basement i mean there's a lot more since i mean I suppose Gacy's probably Bundy, Gacy and Bundy. And Bundy. Who is the most prolific serial killer of record to date? What past and present? Yeah. Oh, I think the Green. I think um, I think the Green River Killer. Um, I think he's got to. I, I think he's confessed to thirty or something like that, but probably fifty. Uh, Kurt and the German guy. Um, Wasn't there a Russian one with a knife that did? Oh, Chikatilo. He did about is, 30, I think. Did he? Yeah. Well, they shot him. Did they? Executed him, yeah. Yeah. All right, next one. The Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo. Yeah, bit of a letdown, that movie. Was it? Yeah, I mean, this was based on what... Um, This was based on... Uh, the film was based on a, a, a journalist who... A, a writer, as told to me, style that says he he interviewed DeSalvo De and and he, this is the exclusive story of DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler. I think Boston Strangler, he was fitted up by the cops, a lot of it. They, they well, they, they, you know, those day, in those days, Chicago, they did it with William Hirons, who were interviewed in, he's now dead, bless him, but they fit people up left, right and centre, so they get promotion and they become a mayor and then they become a judge. And I think that um, DeSalvo probably didn't kill as many as he did. Um, but the the actual movie is actually based on this book, and and the book was basically a fraud. Um, you know, he's saying that DeSalvo sat and told me this and told me that, and I had the exclusive. But there's no record of this guy ever meeting him. What? And also, don't forget, he was out of his mind on medication at the time. Why did DeSalvo start killing, and what was his method of operation? <coughs> Well, he basically shot people, didn't he? Um, so he used to call the boss a strangler, but he shot people. Well, I shot people and strangled them, yeah. Okay. But as far as I can tell with him, basically it was just a sexual thing. Was it? Yeah. Like you said earlier about that commonality. What was his sexual orientation? Just sex. Was he going after women or men? or Women. Women, okay. All right. Zodiac. Yeah. Based on a true story. What is the true story? Good movie. Um <clears throat> it I don't want to spoil it for because it is a, it is a, like a, a, a an enigma type thing. It's a, it's got lots of twists and turns to it. Um Again there's some hidden clues in the movie. So if if I was to say what I know what the outs the outcome of the case was. Um, 
but it's for the watcher to watch it and to see if he can find a couple of what done it or how done how it was done it in the movie. But I don't want to spoil it because it's a cracking film and it is based on a true story of a guy who was going around shooting loving couples in cars. Couples? Yeah. Wow. Uh, necking in quiet beauty spots. Is that unusual for a killer to kill couples and to target couples? Well, there's been a, a few of them. Has there? But, but uh, and again, you can see all the crime photographs on the internet. So they're... they're there's a lot to get your teeth into it. It's a brilliant film, um, well acted. Um, it's quite unique in many ways. And it's how this guy got away with it for so long. And how the police try to trap him. Um, but I, I don't want to spoil it for people to, to, watch, to watch the end result because it's good. Did Son of Sam go after couples? Or was it individuals? Son of Sam couples. Yeah, couples. All right. Executioner's song. Gary Gilmore. Yeah. What's Gary's story? Gary Gil Gilmore was a youth that was in and out of prison. He killed a couple of people, uh, won a gas station attendant uh, for a handful of change, $120 or something, $100. And then he killed somebody else, a similar, and he went to prison, got on death row. Uh, he, he's... he's um, was it, was it Norman Mailer tried to get this guy out or got him out and he killed a waiter? Yeah, fate, he, he, he's infamous because because he demanded that he be shot by a firing squad. Um, and basically what it is, it he's famous because of that and because of Norman Mailer and the book and stuff like that. But when you actually drill down into his story, it's nothing. I read his book. It's called In the Belly of the Beast, isn't it? Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, it's yeah. a nothing. He's a nothing. It's it's another example of how a, a guy is interviewing this, and then a famous author tallies up with him to write a book to make this guy famous. When he when he he killed probably two people, and he was just a loser. He had plenty of um, Gilmore had plenty of opportunities to reform. A lot of people tried to help him get put him back on track. So how they? Yeah, it it made a multi-million dollar movie out of nothing. And wasn't it Norman Mailer's um, best-selling book? Or, or yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So Norman Mailer, so the pen is mightier than the sword. So is it true then that Norman Mailer campaigned to get this guy released? He got released, and then Gary Gilmore shot a waiter in a restaurant. I'm not quite sure about that. I and think went, Gary Gilmore and, and went back. Might have been a long way back. Unless I'm getting confused with a different case. No, I don't I don't think Mailer got him out of prison. Okay. Perhaps I'm getting confused with a different case. But his execution, there is a shooting in the film, um, which is quite realistic, but it's not really... I wouldn't say it's one of the best crime films of all time by a long way. Yeah. yeah. So you get all this build-up, and then all of a sudden you, so you watch the film and you think, wow. But then you look at what this guy did in real life, and you think, well, what was that about? Mm. All right, then. The final one is the classic In Cold Blood. Truman Capote. Yep, I really enjoyed reading that, and that was supposedly the first of its genre, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. And what were the crimes that occurred in that book? Well, this was a, this was like in a wheat, the wheat belt, the 
the corn belt part of states and 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 the clutter family are just farmers and in these two jobs thugs go there to rob it because they think there's a lot of money and they blow them away and then they end up getting hung and again there's this photograph so it's a truth based on a true story truman capote comes on he comes poking his nose around this area and of course these people don't like outsiders because it's a close-knit community and he starts knocking on doors and saying, I'm going to do this. I'm from wherever. I'm from a big city. But he uses a lot of... It, 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 it's a brilliant book and it's a brilliant film. It's brilliant because what Capote done is he's taken the truth and massaged it considerably, but done it in an honourable way. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, it, and yeah. he's, he's made the story something special out of something, again, which was just a family getting shot, which is bad enough, but he turns it into, he he, he manipulates the facts in an honourable way to make it a brilliant film and a brilliant book. Have you watched the movie about him? Yeah. Who's the woman who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird? What's, who wrote? Harper Lee. Harper Lee. She didn't, um, didn't she say some things about Capote? That there was a bit of a beef between them. Well, it probably was. But I mean, they get a beef. I get beef with people all the time. I'll yeah. probably have a beef with you in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got beefs up to here right now, believe but, me. No, but it's true. I mean, you're going to get criticism. <laughs> I mean, but I think what, what Truman Capote's book fell between fiction and fact. Like a Roman clay. Yeah, and, and it, it ran perfectly along those lines, and it works. So anyway, the whole idea of the book is just have some fun, look at the movies, What's behind the movie? Is it, I mean, when you think, there's umpteen films being made on Bundy and they're all, tr basically all trash. Best thing to do is to go on Netflix or um, go on, look at documentaries uh, like uh, Lizzie Borden's. Lizzie Borden gave her husband, mum and dad 40 wax with an axe. Forget the movie. There are brilliant documentaries. So, in a lot of cases, forget the cinema, documentaries, indies. And if you see a lot of sequels, forget them. I like watching the trials and the police interviews, the real stuff. Well, that's yeah. what we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Lots of, uh, lots of fabulous stuff for you. You don't know this, but there are. You can go online. You can see interview with cops, bent cops. You just look on uh, YouTube, go to Google, go onto YouTube or whatever it is, and then click look for the interviews, go on videos, and you'll see like uh, a two-hour interview with a bent cop who comes in thinking he's talking buddy-buddy with his pals, and all of a sudden they're charging him with murder halfway through. Wow. And there's one of a, a psycho cop woman gets, gets on there, and she comes in, and she's obviously a bit of a hard-nosed bitch and she brought in and they're saying to her look we, we brought you away here in a quiet room to have a chat to you about somebody that was murdered a guy was murdered a woman was murdered years at 20 years ago and you see you see that that's real life that's good so let us know on the channel in the comments if you'd like to see us expand into showing actual clips of killers getting interviewed killers trials more serial killer content because i think that's a direction we're going to head into in this coming year um it's always a great pleasure christopher is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the people watching this as i said earlier 
All of Christopher's links are in the description box below the video, his books, his website, his socials, reams and reams of content there. He's so prolific. So please go down and check his stuff out. And you'll also find him all over Net Netflix and Amazon, his, his video work as well. Yeah, all, all I want to say is Happy New Year sort of thing. And, um, and enjoy it. No nightmares, please. And, um, you know, and we... We authors really appreciate you guys buying our books because, um, and so do our publishers, because uh, without you, we we wouldn't be uh, doing what we do. So thank you very much, and you all stay safe and well and for this COVID thing. No nightmares, please, he says, after yeah. two hours of bringing you some of the most horrific stories that have ever really happened in this world. But power to you. Anyway, huge thank you for watching. Let us know in the comments what you thought about this. Huge thank you to all of the subscribers, subscription logos in the bottom right-hand corner. Huge thank you to all the people who've gone down in the description box below the video and clicked on Christopher's links and our links. All of our socials, our donation links, and all of our playlists are down there as well. All right, we're going to elbow bump. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>